Morning. The Bible reading this morning is from Psalm 22. You can find that on page 547. Psalm 22, beginning at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Just guide me as I endeavour to preach it. Give me your strength and uh, the word you would have me say and guide our hearts and our minds as we listen to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you for your uh, kind words of farewell. <laughs> I really feel I wasn't needed here for just a short time. Uh, but uh, it's been uh, nice to come. It's been a great thing. Uh, uh, thrilled to have the friendship of the people in the congregations and to get to know some of you and uh, I wish you well 
as you uh, go through the process of finding a new rector. Now, last week I preached, the last time I preached, on the importance of prayer. Prayer is power because the Holy Spirit is given in answer to prayer and we must make this a top priority in our church life. Today I want to look at that subject from a different perspective and it's this. How do you cope when your prayers aren't answered and you persevere and there's no response from God and you feel forsaken? Now this is the experience of the writer of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I am not silent. Now this is the plea of a man in a state of spiritual crisis. He feels utterly rejected by God. He has a personal relationship with God because he calls him my God. But he feels as though God has slammed the door in his face. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, he's, you can hear him drawing the bolts on the other side so that there's no communication. Now, as far as the writer of the psalm is concerned, it's the persecution and the violence of people around him that's caused him to feel like he does. He says in verse 13, 12 and 13, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths against me. And in verse 16, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. So he's in a state of mental turmoil, wanting to know why God doesn't intervene on his behalf. Now this is this scenario is the experience of many Christians in the world today who endeavour to uh, live out their faith in a hostile environment. It's very relevant to them. Now, for us in the West who have freedom of religion, there may be something else that uh, causes us to uh, cry out to God like the psalmist does. It may be... Um, when God doesn't answer a prayer for healing. I knew a young lady, young woman. She had a child. The child was disabled, and, but she believed in prayer for healing. She took the child to the healing service at St Andrew's Cathedral week after week, but there was no response. The leader told her to believe that God was going to do something, but nothing happened. Eventually, she told me, I began to wonder whether there's somebody up there listening I mean, even if I get a good night's sleep, that'd be something. And, and she became disenchanted, even though she'd been a mature Christian and leader for many years. Or it may be a bad experience in the church that causes us to uh, cry out like the psalmist does. Um, and I'm sure you perhaps know of people with similar experiences. It seems to me I hear time to time people who've given up their faith it's because of unanswered prayer. And they become cynical, they become angry. They don't read their Bibles anymore, they don't go to church, they don't pray, they go into spiritual decline, and it's sad. Now, I don't pass judgment on these people because it could happen to us any time. And um, 
we need to be insensitive because often these people are experiencing real hurt and we need to maintain friendship with them even though they think differently than they once did. With some people, they don't actually drop out of church but they lose their enthusiasm, they lose their zeal and they're just going through the motions when they come. Uh, in one of uh, Gordon MacDonald's church uh, books, rather, he talks about a, a, a conversation he had with a friend and he asked his friend, where are you these days with God? Do you really want to know? Yeah, I'm your friend and I'm interested. The minister responded, I'm not minister responded, I'm not anywhere and I haven't been anywhere for a long time. When it comes to my Christian life, I'm just going through the motions. There was a time in my younger years when it all seemed to grab my imagination. Christ and faith, I mean. I really wanted to make my Christian commitment the absolute centre of everything. But I've lost it and so now I perform out of habit than anything else. What drives you to keep on with the habit? The minister probed. I suppose only the fact that I'm getting to the point in life where it is too late to change. My family life is centred on Christian activities and I don't want to hurt my wife or the kids. And besides, life has been good to me. Why upset the routines that have gotten me this far? So I just keep chugging along. Now I expect that many church people could get into this state of mind. They get distracted by other things. But in some cases... It could be a real experience of disillusionment because of suffering, unanswered prayer, and they become apathetic and they become cynical even though they're still coming to church and singing the hymns and hearing the Bible readings. So what can be done to prevent us from getting into the state of mind or if we're having this experience, what can we learn from the psalmist? to come through this crisis because he didn't stay like this. He didn't stay like this. Uh, at the end, he says in the second part of the psalm, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. So he's in a different frame of mind. He's in a different mood. What happened to change this man and what can we learn that will help us in our spiritual pilgrimage? First, and I think this is very important, we need to be honest with God about the way we feel and not pretend. This man feels forsaken by God, so he blurts it out to God and said, you have forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? Um, I pray day and night and there's no response. You see, we must beware of not sort of just shrinking spiritually. And we, we don't tell God how we feel. We need to blurt it out to him. He, he wants us to be honest. Now, I know in our, our prayer book liturgy, uh, there's beautiful language and it's correct theology and it's very helpful for worship. But we must remember God is more interested in our hearts than he is with our grammar or our poetry. And he wants us to be honest about the way we feel. Um, see, and, and this is where the Psalms are very helpful. I love the bluntness of the Psalms, like Psalm 22. And uh, there's another passage that comes to mind in Psalm 44. 
Here the writer is lamenting all the defeats and the reverses of the people of God and they haven't broken his covenant, they haven't been unfaithful, but God's not doing anything. And so in the end, he gives vent to his feelings. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? He's telling God to wake up. Now, these are very strong words, but these are scripture. God wants us to be honest. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. Don't go through the... Don't pretend that we're actually, you know, really keen, devoted Christians when we feel as though God has let us down. We need to be honest. He wants us to be honest with him. Jesus was like that. Jesus said these words on the cross. If Jesus can say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can say it too. And it's the beginning of the healing process. It's not the end, but it's the beginning. Now, secondly, I would suggest from this psalm, we need to cultivate a correct understanding of who we are and who God is. We need to understand the nature of our relationship with God. In verse 6 we read, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But in verse 3 he describes God in these terms. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. See, the contrast between him and God could not be greater. God is our creator. He is eternal. We are mortal. We are created beings. And not only that, but we are rebellious. We have sinned against God. See, we, our relationship with God is not a reciprocal one. It's not like a business partnership or a fair trade agreement where they're sharing on both sides. But it's easy to get into that way of thinking. You know, I do these things for God, and, and here I'm in desperate need, and God does nothing. It's not fair. Uh, we need to understand our... See, God, we're not, God is, doesn't need us, and he does not owe us anything. See, in Psalm 50, verse 12, it says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you... For the world is mine and all that is in it. God loves us. I don't want to, God loves us, but he's not obligated to us. Um, and yet it's easy to fall into this way of thinking, very easy. You know, things I do for God and here I have a desperate need and God does nothing. I heard of a theological, this is one, in one of um, Philip Yancey's books, I think, uh, a theological student who had written... A quite a credible commentary on the book of Job. And Philip Yancey thought it was so good that it ought to be printed. But just as it was coming off the press, this writer rang up and said, I don't believe anything I've written. You know, he's completely disenchanted with God because God didn't answer his prayers. He prayed earnestly that his parents would not break up, but they got divorced. He, he, relationship with his girlfriend broke up. He wanted certain jobs and nothing happened. He didn't get the jobs. And he became disillusioned with God. So he decided he would give God one last chance to prove himself. And he set aside time to pray and to seek God and nothing happened. So he went downstairs and got all his theological books and burnt them in the incinerator. It was such an inflammation that to get the 
you know, fire brigade, I think. But it was, uh, you know, now, he now felt free from the inattention of what he believed and his actual circumstances of life. He'd done with God. He didn't have to wrestle with that. But you see, if we give up on God, who are we going to go to? You see, you know, who is going to forgive our sins? Who's going to give us eternal life? Who's going to take us to heaven? Who's going to give us salvation? See, there was a time in the ministry of Jesus when some of his followers decided not to follow Jesus anymore. And so he said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So the writer of the psalm, like the disciples, is clinging to God because he has nowhere else to go. God isn't answering his prayers and people are mocking him and probably saying his faith is ridiculous, but he's got nowhere else to go. And he'd rather live with the tension of unanswered prayer than resolve the dilemma by abandoning his faith. So that's the second point. The third consideration that I believe comes out of this psalm to help us in our time of crisis is to recall the answers to prayer that God has given in the past. He says, In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So even though God doesn't seem to be listening to him, he remembers those times of a previous generation when God did answer their prayers and he draws encouragement from that. For example, when the Hebrews were in Egypt, they prayed to God for deliverance and God delivered them. And we're in the book of Judges when they're under attack by other nations, they pray to God in their distress and he delivered them. In the book of Joshua, we're told that uh, when they crossed the Jordan, uh, the people were decide, uh, told to get stones from the riverbed and build a memorial on the other side so they wouldn't forget what God had done. And also in the book of Samuel, when the, uh, is, uh, the Philistines were defeated, Samuel built a memorial and called it Ebenezer to remind them, future generations, to remind them what God had done. And you see, their history is our history. Um, and, and we have even more because we've got the New Testament and we've got the book of Acts and we've got church history. You see, we've got to develop, a, 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 a cultivate a sense of history. The whole of the Bible, actually, is a record of answered prayer of God delivering his people. And... and Apart from that, I think we should develop our own list of answered prayers. When God hears a particular prayer and answers, it's good to write it down so we can go back to it in difficult times. I mean, I've got some answers to prayer that I can recall. I mean, just being in the ministry is an answer to prayer. I felt a strong call to the ministry, but I was unacceptable because in my teenage years, I suffered from epileptic attacks. And these were grand mal. I'd do a sort of collapse and, you know, thrash around. I had an attack in a, a, a maths class once, which may or may not be significant. I think it scared nine, I think it scared nine lives out of the poor maths teacher. They didn't happen a lot, but every now and then. And, and so they, 
no one in the ministry, no one in the church would touch me with a barge pole. But I went through SMBC and then I went through more college as an independent student and I was still unacceptable. I applied to various dioceses around Australia and uh, nothing. And um, one bishop said, well, you might have an attack doing communion and spill the wine all over the place. <laughs> and I thought, well, that, that wouldn't be the end of the world, you know. But uh, it'd be worse if I dropped the baby during a baptism. It's never, it's never happened, by the way. It's never happened in my long ministry. But uh, so I had to smile at that. But I understood their point of view. Uh, but anyway, I finished more college. I was doing various jobs. And then they rescinded their decision. And that, to me, was a a great answer to prayer. They rescinded their decision, along with other people in the same category as myself, and um, I got ordained. I see, if I can mention this, my marriage also was an answer to prayer. I I told the people at 8 o'clock I had one steady girlfriend before I met Jo. And uh, she was a really godly Christian girl, and I asked her to marry me. And she rang up. She didn't say no. She said, I can't say yes. I suppose that amounts to the same thing. <laughs> but, but, but she was very gentle, you know, and I honour her for that. And not long after that, Jo came along and she did say yes, although she said it was the most uncertain decision she's ever made in her whole life. But that was 44 years ago, just recently. You see, but God, you know, we need to keep a list. God does answer. So even if... Even if I'm overwhelmed with frustration at some unanswered prayers now, I can, which is not the case, but I can go back and see where he's done it in the past. And uh, that's what the psalmist is doing. And we need to be able to do that too. You see, it's important that we remember that we are precious to God. The psalmist writes, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my, mo- from my mother's womb you have been my God. He has a personal relationship with God. God has brought him into that relationship. He knows he's precious to God, so he clings on to that. He clings to that. Fourthly, God has given us the privilege of prayer to deal with. You might say, well, what's the point of that? He's already tried that. He's always called out to God and God hasn't answered. But you see, he says, why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my mouth? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am at silent. So he's incessantly groaning, crying out to God, and God hasn't answered. Yes, but he did eventually. If we go through the psalm, we find in verse 24, for he has not despised nor disdained the sufferings of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So he must keep on praying because one day God eventually will. He will hear. He did hear this man's prayer, even though he'd been praying night and day and there was no response. You see, there's one emphasis that always appears when we deal with the subject of prayer in the scriptures, and that is perseverance. Um, You see, the, the Hebrews were crying out and praying for deliverance before God sent Moses to confront Pharaoh. And you remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah waited on God for years, praying for a child, and until the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. He'd given up. He didn't believe. 
But God answered their prayers. That's what the angel said. God has heard your prayers. And so we must pray because one day God will hear. He will answer. Um, whatever the answer may be. It may be no, it may be wait, but he will answer. You see, we would like God, immediately we have a, a difficulty, when we pray, to come to our aid straight away and resolve the anxiety and tension, wouldn't we? We'd like that. And sometimes he does. But oftentimes he doesn't answer our prayers till, we, till the situation becomes critical and we're at the end of our tether. Often it's like that. You think of um, when Moses went up the mountain to receive the, 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 tab the tablets of stone. And down below, the people were getting restless because he'd been away for such a long time. And uh, they said to Aaron, we don't know where this man is. Build us God. You think God might have said to Moses, Moses, look, you better go down straight away. Uh, the troops are restless. Uh, but he didn't. The whole thing completely got out of control. They built an idol. They engaged in all sorts of immoral activity. And then God sent Moses down. Why didn't he do it before? The same when Jesus was crossing the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? And uh, the disciples thought the, there was a storm. The disciples thought the, uh, uh, they were going to drown. The waves were coming into the boat. And they were, they were frantic with worry. And Jesus was asleep. And they woke him up and said, don't you care that we perish? You see, that's, that's the temptation. When God doesn't answer our prayer, like this psalmist, we think God doesn't care. He doesn't care. Now, there are two points. First of all, nothing is ever out of God's control, even when it, thinks, it seems to be. And secondly, he does care. But he, 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 he waits until we're at the end of our tether before he answers. Why is that? It's because then we have to make a choice. We have to decide, will I abandon my faith because it seems pointless or, despite everything, will I cling to God and, like Job, say, even though I die, even though I perish, I will trust in him. Because then, if we make that second option, we will grow, we will, uh, we will develop some muscle which is the aim of our trial. That's what God does. He wants to develop us spiritually. See, the point is not, has God forsaken me, but will I forsake God? That's the temptation. So, but there's one more truth that should encourage us, and it's that Jesus went through the same experience. Um, these are the words uttered when he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In a very real sense, God had forsaken Jesus because he was bearing the sin of the world and God turned, the holy God turned his back. It was the um, loneliest experience that anyone could ever go through and Jesus went through that experience. And uh, this whole psalm, of course, we know anticipates in vivid detail the crucifixion of Jesus. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. His enemies mocked. He claims to be the son of God. Let God deliver him. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And then in verse 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. 
But when he died, his last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is where we need to get to. It's all right to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the beginning of the healing process. But he wants to get us to get to that stage of surrender. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So this man, this psalmist, was going through what the mystics call the dark night of the soul. But we need to come through it with our faith intact. We need to get from fear to praise. And, and we can and a testament to what God has done. This is how he finishes. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. And may this be our testimony too. May God speak to us through his word. Amen.